possessing the promise. Possessing the promise. And we're going to look at Numbers chapter 13. This is a familiar story in the Old Testament. Um, and I just want to kind of talk about where they are. They've been in Egypt in slavery, the Israelites. And now they're on their way with Moses to the promised land, and they're excited. And all of a sudden, they have to have some food, so God sends quail, which is, and he sends manna. They get thirsty. The rock pours out water to literally give millions a drink. It's amazing. And all these things happen, and they see these ten plagues that hit the Egyptians, all these plagues and how bad they were, and yet they watched God walk them through all of that and free them from slavery, and here they are right on the border of the promised land. How many know God has promises for you? Amen? Amen. Turn to your neighbor and say, he's got a promise. Say, for you. He's got a promise for you. It's so true. God's got a promise for you. So we're going to read Numbers 13, verses 24 through 33. And they came, this is after the 12 spies are sent out to go spy the land. They're going to check it out, find out what's going on there, and they're going to give a report back to the people and Moses, okay? So this is what's going on here. And they came to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation of the people of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh, they brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told him, we came to the land to which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. Somebody say amen. amen. I'm telling you, God's got promises for you. There's things that he wants to walk you into. You just got to trust him. Amen. And there's some milk and honey flowing there. And there's a lot of fruit there, but there are times in order to get there, it's going to take your faith. Can I say that again? Sometimes in order to get into your promise, you've got to have faith. Not in the circumstances, not in people, but in Jesus. So here they are. They're telling them all about how it flows with milk and honey and its fruit. However, everybody say however. Have you ever had that person in your life, they are a however? A however. Or they are the but people, but. Now, don't take that wrong. But but people are always like, but. Yeah, this is going on. This is looking really good, but. Those negative Nellies, those Eeyores, don't look at them. They may be sitting next to you. I'll be careful not to make eye contact with them this morning. They're in your family. You could be married to them. They could be a parent or a child. They've always got that negative report. And I'm not saying that you deny reality, but what I am, I am saying is that there are times you look beyond circumstances. And you trust what God says, what his word says. And God told the Israelites this was their promised land. Say theirs. Say mine. 
Say, I have promises that God wants me to walk into. Come on. He does. He's got some things he wants you to walk into. Let's keep reading here. However, the people who dwell there in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of Negeb. The Hittites, the Jebusites, Jebusites, I'm sorry, and the Amorites dwell in the hill country, and the Canaanites, there's a lot of ites there, dwell in, by the sea and along by the Jordan. But Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and occupy, for we are well able to overcome it. Then the men who had gone up with him said, we are not able to go up against the people. It kind of, it sounded like this. We are not able to go up against these giants. For they are stronger than we are. So they brought to the people of Israel a bad report of the land that they had spied out, saying the land which we have gone to spy out is a land that devours its inhabitants and all the people that we saw in it are great height. And they were, there we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, who come from the Nephilim. We seem to ourselves to be like grasshoppers. Come on. So let's just bring it to today. There's a deep state out there in America, and in the world, and the Antichrist, he's rising up. And these people are all corrupt, and they're bad, and things are going to happen. They're going to take our food, our water. They're going to tax us to death. We're going to have nothing. They're going to make slaves out of us. And what are we going to do? Oh, my. Lions and bears, oh, my. Lions, tigers, and bears. I mean... This is where we're at in America. We watch all these reports from all these negative people, and we listen about the state, but we have forgotten about the great statesman, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, Jesus Christ, who overcame all of that, and his will shall be done, his will will be accomplished, and he will walk you into your promises if you'll do no more than to trust him. Can somebody say amen? We've got to trust him. It's crazy. All the stuff that was going on. But I like this verse. I wanted to add this verse in this because I feel it's so important that we don't forget this. Look, and it's wrong on your outline. It's Numbers 1424. 1424. But when God puts a but in there, but my servant Caleb has a different spirit, and he has followed me fully, and I will bring into the land, bring him into the land, and along with all of his descendants, they will reign there. 
How many want to have a different spirit? Amen? So many churches are closing. So many pastors are leaving the ministry. Other pastors are just buying into this woke religion. Remember, I, I entitled woke as a religion. And I believe it's what the, uh, the great harlot in Revelation is going to use as a religion to get people to fear, to get them to buy in. And then at the end, when the ten kings turn against the harlot, that religious spirit of that group, they'll be turned on because there's no need for them then because they've done what they wanted to do. This woke religion is freaking people out and scaring them to death. And when I read this story about the Israelites going into the promised land, I'm like, God, you told them to go. Here's Joshua saying, let's rise up. Let's make it happen. Joshua and Caleb were the only two out of the 12 that said we could. The rest said no. And it's funny, for the next 40 years, come on now, everybody say 40 years. Not six months, not not three years, not 10 years. For the next 40 years, God got mad here. Oh, my goodness. He got mad. And there was anger. And they wandered in the wilderness for the next 40 years. And God told them they would not see the promise then. They would not go in. Except for Joshua and Caleb. I don't want to be one of the ten. I want to be one of the two. I believe God is going to do mighty things. He is doing mighty things. People are being touched. They're being saved. Miracles are taking place. But I believe there's reasons today. Sometimes miracles don't happen the way we want them to. Let me help you out. The sins of the father follow his children. Come on now. And, and men, I, I'm just going to talk to you for a moment because I feel like a lot of times the reasons we're not seeing miracles in our own house is because of what we're doing that's not pleasing God. The ungodliness that's taken place. Now, you can point your finger at mom. Well, she's got great faith and she's trusted God for this. But let me tell you something. If the head of the home is not living up to what God's expecting, there are consequences that will follow your children. And that should just freak every man out. And I believe that that is what has happened many times when we don't see the miracles we're looking for. As a matter of fact, I was reading John chapter 4. Let me turn there real quick because it's so good. John chapter 4, and an official came to Jesus... And we're looking at verse 49, and said to him, Sir, come, before, come down before my child dies, wanting him to go where his child was. And Jesus said to him, Go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him, went on his way, and as he was going down, his servant met him and told him that his son had recovered. So he asked him, What hour? When did this begin that he got better? And he said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him, and the father knew 
that that was the hour when Jesus had said, your son is healed. I think there's some big points there, and the first one is the dad went to Jesus. Come on now. Dads, you need to lead the way in the charge for prayer. Secondly, the dad believed Jesus. The head of the home believed, and some of you are like, well, you know, I love my wife. She's that godly woman. She's a do-gooder. She's always praying. Why do I need to pray? Why do I need? That's the problem with the American church. I thank God for righteous women. I thank God for women that rise up and pray and intercede. And men, a lot of you are where you are today just because of the grace and mercy God has shown on your wife. Some of you men have a hard time. Let's just, let's just hit you between the eyes. You don't even like giving. Can't even tithe. Want to know why you've had all these health problems, all these struggles in your family? Watch this one go. Watch what's happening in this family. Look at this kid. Look what's going on there. Oh, no. Are they going to survive it? You know, there are times, yeah, bad things can happen to good people. I want to tell you something, though. You are opening up the door for the devourer to come in. And I'm not saying that because we need your money today. I'm saying that because that's a godly principle that goes all the way back before the law of Moses to Abraham and Melchizedek when he tithed then. And then Jesus in the New Testament said, not just to tithe, but to give it all. In other words, he's saying, I want your heart. I want everything you have. Dedicate it to me. Obey the principles of God's word. Come on, somebody say amen. amen. Okay, I'll leave that. But men... Things are going to rock this country, and godly men are going to rise up. And you watch what happens in their families. But if you're not going to be one of those, look out for the devastation and the fear, because you're going to find yourself as one of the ten. But as for me and my house, we are going to serve the Lord. And I'm going to be a Joshua or a Caleb, and I'm going to trust God to do the things that he wants to do in and through me. Amen? Amen. I remember I was, I was talking to Pastor Chuck this week, and we were talking about some things, and, and all of a sudden, I said, Chuck, I remember I was, it was probably 30 years ago, I was just leading worship one Sunday morning, and as I was coming down, a very godly woman, she was playing the organ, and she stopped me, and she said, Owen? I said, yeah. She goes, I just have a word for you. Okay, you're a Caleb. And I thought, okay. <laughs> and that's all I ever thought about that. Until this week when I was talking with Pastor Chuck. And the Lord reminded me, you have that same type of spirit. Because a year ago in November, the Lord spoke to me, and he said to me, he said, Owen, what I have placed before you in this county, that is your mountain. And he said, you are a Caleb, and I'm going to give you this mountain. And I reminded God of that, when my health got attacked, I said, you kept Caleb strong. 
spiritually, physically, emotionally. And Chuck and I were just talking about that, and I thought, man, that is so encouraging to know that God wants to raise up Joshua's and Caleb's. I'm not special. He wants that for your home. Some of you, all you want to do is just retire. Help us, Jesus. You never retire in the kingdom of God. There is no retirement. Pastors don't go to the pasture. Wherever you are, believers always continue to serve Jesus. As a matter of fact, when you stop doing your physical labor, you should even increase in your spiritual labor. Come on now. Well, I just want my home and my lake cottage and all my vehicles and my toys, and I just want to travel. You better keep Jesus at the forefront because this is a season where we don't need you traveling. We need you speaking the truth. I'm not saying you can't travel, but you understand where I'm coming from. That if you are doing that, you better be a light for Jesus wherever you're because there is no retirement in the kingdom of God. Hello. So for those ladies that were worried about your husband quitting his job, just look at him right now. You're not going to retire. Tell him that right now. I have women coming to me saying, what am I going to do? He's not going to work anymore, and he's going to be with me 24-7. I can't take it. I'm like, oh, my gosh. Is it that bad? Sure, I can't wait till I'm with her 24-7. And I give her a list of things to do and how to do it and when to do it. And I supervise her. It's going to be awesome. (laughs) Point number one today is how do you perceive your situation? Are you one of the ten or one of the two? How do you perceive your situation. We've got to understand God has a bigger plan with what we're going through. Amen? Amen. Isaiah 26.3. I think that's wrong in your notes there. It should say, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts you. I love that Melissa was choosing those songs and they were about trust. And, and the scripture in Proverbs. But you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. Come on now. Somebody say amen. amen. If we keep our eyes on the promise and the promise giver and the promise keeper, it's amazing what God can do in and through us. Your perception will affect your reception. Can I say that again? Your perception will affect your reception. And if you're not really focusing in on God and you're looking at the giants and the deep state and all the garbage and the evil and stuff, it's out there, but it's always been. Come on. Jesus just kept doing what he was called to do. Your perception will affect your reception of what God has for you. Mm, That's good. That's a nugget. You need to write that down. That's a nugget today. If you get a nugget out of a sermon, you just got to write it down. That's a nugget. 
That is a nugget. Colossians 2, 15. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them. Come on now. That's what our God does. I don't care how bad it is at work. I remember Roger telling me some stories about working in the post office and how sometimes it got pretty intense. And the stuff that was all around him. But you know what? Roger, God got you through it. He got you through it. Thank God for Brenda. Your arm raiser. Your prayer warrior. And now look how on fire you are. She is amazed at what kind of a godly man you are. You're, you're just amazing her. She has become, Roger, she is putty in your fingers. <laughs> she just tapped him on the leg and said, I, yes. Jesus looked at Jerusalem and he wept. Why did he weep? As he was getting ready to go into Jerusalem, he looked at them and he wept. Why? Because they missed the moment of him to be their savior. They were looking at some great king that was going to take down the Romans and going to conquer everybody and all this army that he was going to bring, and they missed what God put before them. Don't miss what God has put before you. Don't let the perception of looking at the circumstances stop you from receiving what God is trying to do in and through you. If you'll be obedient, watch what God does. And as I was thinking about this message this week, the Lord reminded me when I got a call years ago to go to the hospital, and I didn't really want to go, but I had a good godly woman that said, my wife that said, you should go. I've got other things going on. It's, it's, this is happening. Just run up there and see. I don't know the person. I don't know what's going on. But I go up there. I don't know who's been praying for him. I don't know how long they've been praying for him. I don't know what's going on. I go in and I see five family members in there and I see this 83-year-old man laying there on a ventilator in a coma and they said, we've almost lost him. I don't know how long this has been going on. I don't understand that. I just know they asked me to come and pray. Nothing special about me. I just said, okay, we're going to join hands here and we're going to pray. And God opened that man's eyes. He received Jesus, made him his Lord and Savior, went right back into the coma, died five hours later, made his way to the kingdom of God because people had been praying and I didn't let my perception stop him from receiving. You don't know how God wants to use you as a husband, as a father, as a mother, mother as a wife, as a, as a teenage child. You don't know what God wants to do where you are. It's amazing if we'll just make ourselves available to the promise. Mm. How many times, though, does our perception get veiled by our flesh? So ask yourself that question or write it down. Is your perception veiled by your flesh? Is your perception veiled by your own flesh? 
Sometimes we let our expectations, oh, you got to get this. We, sometimes we let our expectations to exceed God's deliverance. Ooh. He didn't do it the way we thought. We can't take them. We're grasshoppers. We can't take those giants in the land. They're, they're big. They're, they're rooted from the Nephilim, man. This is like, these are bad dudes. We can't, we can't do this. We're grasshoppers. Joshua and Caleb, let's go. He said it was ours. I've watched all the miracles he's done. I've watched the fire by night, the cloud by day. He's kept us sh shaded with the cloud. He keeps us warm by the... F I've seen him do so much. He's feeding us. Why is it we can't just go and get it? Man, we've been out here. Let's go take it. Why is it you're looking at all your circumstances? Or maybe your expectations were not what God had, but there was a deliverance coming. It just wasn't coming the way you thought it was going to come. My mom waited 34 years for my dad, 34 years of marriage before my dad gave his life to the Lord, 34 years, with ministers telling her to divorce, leave him, go on, and she remembers the Lord speaking to her, if you'll keep praying for him, I will save him. And that last 25 or 30 years more than made up for all the junk that she had to walk through. Your answer could already be there, but you refuse to receive what God has placed before you. Oh, that's good. Your answer can already be there, but you refuse to receive when God says, stay in the job. Oh. Stay in the marriage. Oh. Come on now, there's truth in that. It could already be there. You refuse to receive it. He's placed it right before you. God gave us a real big hint when Jesus got on the cross. I, I tell couples this all the time. I look at the cross, and, and if your communication with God and you is going like this, then your communication with your spouse and others can go like this. But this has to be going first. And if you're not praying and seeking God into his word and, and having communion with God, if things aren't going good this way, they're not going to go good this way. Amen? It's so true. But there are times that the devil places the wrong people around you. Hello? You've got to have discernment. You've got to have discernment. You've got to discern the body around you. So the second point is this. What or who has surrounded you? What or who has surrounded you? Jesus has your future in his hands. Step out, step up, and step in. See, our problem is this. I, I, I put Psalm 34, 3 through 5, 
Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord, and he answered me. Can I say that again? I sought the Lord, and he answered me, and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. What is it that you're magnifying? Come on now. What is it that you're magnifying? Are you magnifying the giants in the land? Are you magnifying Jesus? Are you magnifying your servants, or, or your circumstances? Servants. Are you magnifying your circumstances? Are you magnifying the people that are naysayers? Or are you magnifying Jesus? We are more than conquerors. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Oh, my gosh, there's so much that the Lord has for us. God will work everything out for my good and his glory. God will give me peace, Isaiah 26.3, when I focus on him instead of my situation. Matthew 19.26, nothing in my life is too hard for God to handle. Philippians 1.6, God will complete the good work he started in me. Oh, my goodness. We got to keep going. Psalm 59, 16, the Lord is our defense and our refuge in times of trouble. Then also, first, or 2 Corinthians 10, 4 and 5, our weapons are mighty through God to pull down strongholds, vain imaginations, lies, and deceptions. Christ defeated Satan on the cross, and we live in that victory, Colossians 2, 15. No weapon formed against me shall prosper, Isaiah 54, 17. We are hidden in Christ, Colossians 3, 3. The enemy may attack you one way, but he must flee seven ways, Deuteronomy 28, 7. We will not fear because God has not given us the spirit of fear, but a power and love and of a sound mind, 2 Timothy 1, 7. Perspective is so important. Perspective levels the playing field. You know those MMA fighters and how they get all this stuff going and you see them lined up against one another. And you know, and some of them are real mouthy. And they're just like, yeah, 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 I'm going to do this to you. Nah, nah, nah. And they get right in his face, you know, do that to him and, and all that. If you let the enemy jaw you down, Come on now. You can't. He won't. You shouldn't. Don't know why you're thinking this. Come on. This is never going to happen. You need to run. You need to stay in fear. Oh, you need not to trust God. How can he prevent that? that, that? They died. They died. Why would he do that for you? And all of a sudden, he's just jawing and jawing and jawing and jawing. And all of it's the one that understands the perception. You're, all, you're a defeated foe already. And all you speak, you have a roar, but you speak nothing but lies. And as you speak that into me, I know it's not truth. That means God's got the answer. I'm just going to continue to go get my promise. I'm going to get my promise. You see, you determine on what you focus on. You determine the focus. Nobody else. So what are you magnifying? I'm not going to magnify trouble. I'm not going to magnify. And, and I love prayer warriors, and I, I praise the Lord for those that are praying and, and praying for you when you're in trouble. But I am the first guy, my wife's like, get me to put this on a prayer chain. No. 
just let me take this to Jesus. That's not pride or arrogance. I just, I want to go to him first. Let me take this to Jesus. He's been a friend that's stuck closer than a brother. When nobody else was there, when nobody else cared, when Shaloi was really mad, Jesus listened. Come on now. We got to be real. Because even at times your spouse is not with you 100%. Amen? Somebody lift their hand if their spouse has always been with them 100%. I want to see your hand. Always. Oh, oh my gosh. Stacy. Oh, Jesus, right now. Deliverance on the front row. <laughs> even in the midst of something God's wanting to do, sometimes those closest to us will send us a different direction. Come on. Stand on the promises of God. You got to get this in your spirit. I like Matthew 19, 26. Jesus looked at him and said, with man, this is impossible. But with God, some things. Oh, but with God, all things are possible. Our problem is we don't know we don't know who we are in Jesus. So if you want to put problem on your outline, put it up the very top. Problem is, we do not know our identity in Christ. Because when you understand how much he loves you, what he's done for you, and how much he cares about everything, you can trust him no matter what you face. Does that mean they were just going to walk in and the giants were going to fall dead? No, they were going to have to go in and do some warfare. There was going to have to be some strategy in this. It could take time, but if you know God's got it, you trust him. David, shepherd boy, anointed king, his brothers and dad are like, what? Goes back to the sheep after that. I wonder if David got out there and thought, I wonder when I'm going to be king. I'm going to make my brothers pay a price because they've treated me as the youngest pretty bad. No, he just kept trusting God, got sent here, got sent there. Thirteen years he ran from King Saul. Thirteen years he ran from King Saul. Never killed him. Had opportunities. Did not take him out. He said, I'm not going to touch the Lord's anointed. I'm going to trust God in this. Too many of us, though, too many of us, and Chuck gave this to me. It was so good. Who is the King Saul in your life? Who is it that you keep weeping over? Because Samuel saw King Saul, anointed him, and then Saul sinned, disobeyed God, and Samuel kept hoping that Saul would come back and do this. And finally God said, I'm done with Saul. What are you doing? In other words, there are so many, so many of you are looking back, weeping over someone or something, and God's like, that's under the blood. It's in the past. Would you please look at who I anointed? Too many are weeping over Saul's today. Well, if I would have married Jerry the fairy, oh my gosh. 
or Leo the liar. Or Jane the mouth. You could be in misery today. You are where you are now. Trust God. It's sad. As a matter of fact, Joshua and Caleb were threatened with stoning because the people, listen to me, people tend to believe the negative report. If you don't believe me, just talk to people about vaccinations. More division over that than anything else. Oh my gosh. People love the negative and they tend to believe it. They threatened to stone the two guys that said, we know God wants to do this. Joshua 14.8. But my brothers who went up with me made the heart of the people melt, yet I wholly followed the Lord my God. Mm. You see, your giant, if elevated, will always defeat you. Write that down. Your giant, if elevated, will always defeat you. The enemy will use that. The results are so devastating because of their stance even the Israelites were almost destroyed. You can come on up and listen. All those that didn't believe God end up losing out. I don't want that to happen to you. And I hate that, that statement, we are like grasshoppers. What does the devil see you as? A cowardly American believer that's just so scared of losing their retirement and losing their food and losing. I've never seen the righteous forsaken or the seed out begging for bread. It may not be easy, but God's got this. We were raised up for such a time as this. I'm excited about these Gen Z's and these millennials, man. I'm like, fire them up, God. Let them go places and do things we've never done. Let us see some Joshua's and Caleb's that aren't worried about their retirements and their money and their cars and their homes. And they're just like, God, I trust you. Should I lose it all tomorrow? It's not going to change my faith in you. Come on now. We get to the point in the story where Moses pleads and he prays on their behalf because God wanted to kill them. The last point is, can you respond like Caleb did? I read it earlier, 2 Corinthians 10, 4 and 5, for the weapons of our warfare are not of flesh but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. Man, if we could just get that verse in our spirit. There's so much meat in that, those two verses there. If we could stand against anything that raises itself up against the knowledge of God and taste and take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. I talked about that last week. 
And then we look at 2 Timothy 1.7. Here's Timothy. I'm closing with this. He's a young pastor pastoring a church, and the people are getting mad. They don't like the overhead projector. He moved a few pictures in the lobby. It got so loud on Sunday morning, they're buying earplugs and handing them out as they walk in. They're so upset at this young pastor. And Paul, the senior pastor, says to him, I'm not there. I'm not there. But he says, son, listen to me in verse 7. I know they're rising up against you, and I know this is intimidating because you're young. But listen, young people, Gen Z, millennials, listen. 2 Timothy 1.7, for God has not given you the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control. Don't lose it. Don't leave, Timothy. Don't step out now. God's got some stuff he wants to do in that church. Don't you dare let them force you out. Come on now. Don't let them push you out of that job. Don't let them push you out of that marriage. Don't let them push you out of that neighborhood. Don't let them degrade you in that family. Continue to trust Jesus. Stand with me this morning. You see what that is? That spirit of fear is the word timidity, intimidation. Too many of us get timid, and we get intimidated. And we get scared and fearful of the battle. But Paul says, you've not, get, not been given the spirit of timidity. The devil uses intimidation to, to just back people and the body of Christ off, and you've got to get out there and keep marching forward. Amen? And these people, the Israelite spies, the ten, convinced the people that they were defeated before they ever went in. Oh, my gosh. Is somebody getting this this morning? I don't know what it is you're battling. I don't know what it is you're facing. I don't know the loss that's taken place in your life, and everybody's got an opinion, but God's bigger than that battle. Come on now. He can take what the enemy used, and he can turn those circumstances around, and there could be salvations and healings, stuff that can take place, because it could be a new motivation, a, a thing where I'm going up another rung on the ladder, God. I'm not going to stay here and listen to this. I'm going to trust you. With your heads bowed this morning. They were intimidated, and they never tried. Help us, Jesus. I believe there's going to be a great harvest in America. I believe that this mountain that God has called me to, there's going to be a great harvest in this county and surrounding counties. I believe God's going to do mighty things, miracles, deliverances, healings. People are going to be set free. I've seen tons all my life, but I believe it's just going to be magnified because I'm going to magnify Jesus. 
He's going to be glorified in it. I'm not going to take his glory. He's a jealous God, but I'm going to trust him because he's made me more than a conqueror in this. I'm not going to let others and my insecurity stop my identity in Christ. I'm going to step out, step up, and step in. If that's you this morning and you're struggling, and I know you're here, you're listening, I don't care whether you know the Lord or you don't know the Lord. Maybe you need to know the Lord, but you just say, man, I, man I've been intimidated. There's nothing wrong with admitting the weakness because it's in the weakness, and when you just admit it and ask God to help you, all of a sudden things can change. If that's you, nobody look around. Would you lift your hand and say, that is me. I'm in that situation. Wow. Anybody else? Hold it up high. I just want to pray for all those hands. Hold it up high. Thank you, Lord. Are you going to be intimidated? Anybody else, before I pray for them, you say, I should have lifted my hand. I know that. Lift it up real high. And then take it back down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Come on now. Now you got to take a bold step. You said you, you don't want to be intimidated. I want you to step out and come down here in front of me. I'm, I just want to pray for you. I want to anoint you and pray for you. I'm going to let everybody else go. I just want to. 